0: We are talking about defending the faith, and today is part one, an intro to apologetics. Probably everybody in this room has already resolved, in in your own heart, in your own mind, you know the answers to the questions that we're going to cover over the next several weeks. Um, But do we understand these questions and the answers well enough to be able to answer them to someone else, to someone who is skeptical, to someone who is cynical um, or even combative about our beliefs? I've learned that most atheists are not really atheists. They're just anti-Christian. They really don't ever desire to refute uh, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. They're just anti-Christian. Um, and so we have to be prepared for people who may be combative to us. But some people may have genuine questions, doubts. Um, they may have heard, you know, they may have grown up in church a little bit, but not really understood very much about it. Or they may have grown up in a very oppressive kind of Christianity, and they wonder, is that really what Christianity is all about? We're going to cover 10 questions, and I'll give them to you really quickly. Um, And so uh, it's going to be faster than you can read or faster than you can write. Um, But so you just have to come back. All right, 10 weeks. Uh, First, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Secondly, how can I know there is a God? Third, where did the universe come from? Fourth, is the Bible reliable? Fifth, is Jesus the only way? Six, are the claims of Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead valid? Seven, are the heathen really lost? Eight, is hell a real place that lasts for eternity? Number nine, must a person believe in Jesus or make him Lord of his life to be saved? And number ten, how detailed is God's wonderful plan for each individual life? Those ten questions we're going to cover and uh, it's going to be deep stuff. And so I encourage you, if you miss a week, uh, I pardon you ahead of time. And you can. we record these, so we'll post them on our church website. But the answers to these 10 questions will help you have those conversations with people uh, who are unsaved, who are seeking, um, who are interested, who are, uh, as I said, maybe skeptical, cynical, or combative. Um, this will also help you, if you're a young Christian in the faith, confirm uh, that faith in Jesus Christ is correct. It is provable, and that's the key. Is Christianity faith in Jesus Christ is not blind faith. God never calls us to blind faith. Christianity is absolutely provable, historically and in many other ways. So it's not like the Bible. See, some sometimes the people have a problem with the. Christians, because we use the Bible to prove the Bible, and they're like, you can't do that. Well, we don't actually have to do that. There are scores of what we call extra-biblical writings and documents. These are books that were written not by Christian authors, by Jewish and other historical Greek and Roman philosophers that validate claims that the Bible makes, that validate historical events that the Bible declares happen. So, while we do use the Bible, when we talk about the Bible, we don't necessarily have to. Even if we didn't have the Bible, we could still prove Jesus Christ with all the other sources that are historically reliable. And that is important, because that's what most people outside of church don't realize that we have. That's what probably a lot of people in the church don't realize that we have. We have proof that Jesus Christ is legit. So, you have to understand, though, that sometimes people don't want answers. Have you ever met somebody, and don't elbow your spouse if that's them, but have you ever met somebody that just loves to argue? They just, they just like an argument. If they're a lawyer or soon-to-be lawyer, <laughs> Keisha's a soon-to-be lawyer, um, I, for me, when, you know, when I'm talking to people, I'm, I recognize I might not be right. Uh, I just like a good debate. I don't like to argue because argument is when it gets disrespectful and combative, and I don't want to be combative. But when my kid comes and says, hey, Dad, can we go get snow cones? And I'll say no, and they'll go, okay. I'm like, well, change my mind. Why should we? Give me a good reason. And I want a debate. I want to have a conversation. And people, the, I don't think anybody else in my family understands that about me. I enjoy debate. Um, I think maybe they just realize that they're not going to win the debate. They're like, you know what, you're right, it was a dumb question. We don't need snow cones. It's just flavored water with syrup, you know, it's just ice. But you'll come across people who like to argue for the sake of arguing. You answer one question and they're not really listening because they're just waiting for you to stop talking so that they can ask their next question, which they think is going to be the nail in the coffin and shut it all down. Some people have an agenda, and they don't want to be confused by all these facts you're throwing at them. Uh, maybe some skeptics are God rejectors; They have rejected God with their hearts, and so their goal is to convince you that you're wrong, to poke enough holes in your theory that you go away doubting what you believe. They don't want, argue, they, they don't want, to, they don't want answers. They want to win an argument. And skeptics probably don't need answers. What they need is a relationship with a believer who will reach them where they are and be willing to pray for them and lift them up to the Lord. They need to see Christ in you, which is the hope. Uh, Yeah, skeptics probably don't need answers. They need a relationship with a believer who will reach them where they are. And if I, if I say something too fast, we do record these, so you can go back and, and listen to them. Share them on Facebook if you'd like to. Um, but they need to see you living out your faith. Uh, because everybody's got opinions. Everybody's got arguments. They need to see the integrity with which you live your life that will demonstrate um, that you uh, not are just sincere, but that you're correct. Because there are a lot of, in, there are a lot of sincere, incorrect people. And there are a lot of insincere, correct people. Uh, we need to be sincere and correct. <clears throat> so the question is, what is our authority? Um, what's our authority? Some, some people will not listen to rational explanations. Don't bother coming in here with all your logic and arguments, you know, with all your truth. And, and we're actually going to get into that next week as far as about absolute truth and the, the uh, fight that, that uh, these previous generations have had against absolute truth. Um, so we'll get into that. But I do want to uh, w- tell you this. John Maxwell, leadership guru, he's, he used to be a pastor, I think of the Presbyterian Church, but he wrote a ton of leadership books. He says this, it's so good, and you, you might want to write this down if you don't know it already. People don't care how much you know. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So when you come up to somebody and you're trying to win an argument against them, they if they don't think you really care about them, then they're not going to um, really be concerned. Would you go to a doctor if you knew you had, let's say, a tumor to be uh, operated on? If you, Would you go to a doctor and would you let them perform surgery on you if... As you were speaking to them, they're going, you know, it's not that really big of a deal. I mean, yeah, it's painful, and you're having seizures, and it probably will kill you, but, you know, it doesn't affect me whatsoever. Either way, it's fine. I mean, have you ever seen that Geico commercial about, you know, hey, yeah, this doctor, he's okay. And it's like, guess who got reinstated? Well, not officially. That is the funniest commercial. The doctor walks into the patients, and the doctor says, hey, are you nervous? And the guy says, yeah. And he says, yeah, me too. Nobody wants to hear that from their doctor not before he performs surgery on him. He wants, he wants to know you are going to come to this is routine piece of cake. I do this all day. I could do this eating a sandwich. It's easy. No problems. That's what we want to hear. So, people need to know that we care about them before they're going to listen to anything that we have to say. Now, some questions don't come from uh, an academic problem. Uh, Some people have an honest, straightforward question. Um, In Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? Uh, So they may have a very straightforward question. They may already have been, the Holy Spirit may already be dealing with them. And I would encourage you, as you are out and about walking around, just pray, say, Lord, you know the people I'm going to come in contact with, the people that are going to be in my path. Prepare their hearts to hear a word from the Lord. Prepare my heart and my mind to be able to speak what you have for me. Um, they may have a probing question, like Nicodemus said, how can someone, uh, was it Nicodemus or Zacchaeus? I know Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, but I think it was Nicodemus that said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb? I'm really confused by this, Jesus. And so he was overthinking it a bit, but um, he has a probing question. And so they need answers from Scripture and uh, explanation. So the attitude you bring to the conversation that you have with somebody about your faith is incredibly important. If we demonstrated intellectually that there is a God, would you accept his existence? Would you turn to him for salvation? If you were convinced that he is the creator and you were a creation of his hands, would you obey his commands? And so the attitude that we take, Coming into these conversations is important uh, because we have to act like we believe in God. We have to live like we believe what we say we believe. Each week we're going to address a main point. Um, we will address what those, the points of the specific argument on our end would say about absolute truth, about the deity of Jesus Christ, etc. We'll also look at some of the counterpoints of each of those arguments what those who disagree with what we say believe, and those who reject the Christian answer. Um, and the counterpoint, that's the reason that people attack Christianity. If we don't recognize, and if we don't answer the arguments of skeptics, then we can't help them and we can't strengthen our own faith. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll go over some of the blanks on your sheet here. Um, the first thing we need to understand is that, uh, the, to understand the term apologetics in and of itself, um, because people deserve good answers. Have you ever been asked, uh, have, have you ever asked a question and somebody answered it and it was not a good answer? It did not give you any information whatsoever. It was not helpful whatsoever. We don't want to do that to people, especially when it comes to matters of faith. Uh, an author, Alex McFarland, this is what he said, and it's your first blank on your sheet. He said, The claims of Christianity are affirmed by compelling lines of evidence. Evidence. The positive evidence for Christianity sets it apart from all other faith systems. When answering objections and questions, Christianity has a threefold advantage. First, we have positive evidence that points in its favor. Number two, there is no legitimate negative evidence existing to refute it, and number three, the objections raised against Christianity can be satisfactorily answered. So there's positive evidence points in its favor, no legitimate negative evidence exists to refute it, and the objections raised against Christianity can be satisfactorily answered. As an example, let me give you an example. Please, uh, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm going to say something that you may have had a very long-standing belief in, okay? And so just stick with me for a minute. There is a belief Jews and Christians have have uh, often attributed, uh, are often attributed to have the belief that the earth is 6,000 years old. It's called the Young Earth Theory, that the earth is 6,000 years old because of the genealogies and all of this stuff, and you take from now all the way back to Adam, it's actually about 5,700 years. So they believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. Um, Science demonstrates that the earth is actually 4.54 billion years old. Does that change anything? It actually does not. Belief that the earth is 4.54 billion years old does not change the Bible whatsoever because the Bible never says the earth is 6,000 years old. The Bible never makes that claim. Christians have attributed that to the age of the earth, um, but the Bible never makes that claim. And one of the problems is that we uh, Christians... um, over the, over, over the history of Christianity have made claims about scientific issues without information, and um, when science disproves those claims that the Bible doesn't make, Christians make, then Christians are treated like they're in, uh, uneducated, ignorant, and uninformed. For instance, for a long time, the belief was that the earth was flat. Okay? Okay? People were burned at the stake, if they said otherwise, by the church. So the church was making scientific claims, um, stating that they had biblical proof that the earth was flat, this flat disk floating in space, that the center of the universe was the earth, which is not true. Um, The center of the solar system was the earth, which is not true. And what's interesting to me is that Christians, the Christian church, persecuted scientists who had observable data and said the earth is spherical and we're like, we don't like you. You don't say what we say, so let's burn them at the stake. What's interesting to me is the Bible actually says the earth is round. The Bible never says the earth is flat, and so the church was trying to defend a position that the Bible never took which is why people in the science community made fun of Christians as being ignorant and uninformed and clearly not reading many books. The Bible itself in Isaiah says, it is he who sits upon the circle of the earth. So the Bible actually declares the earth is round, but they're like, we don't, we're not even reading this. We just like to burn people. <clears throat> so um, the, the belief that the earth is 6,000 years old, if you hold that belief, please don't tell me, but I don't, because I don't believe science bears that out. I believe the current humanity, uh, the creation of Adam forward, is traceable through the uh, lineages, how long they lived, how, they, how old they were when they died, which the Bible is pretty good about. And so that takes us about back to about 5,700 years ago, 5,800 years ago uh, is the earth older than that? Yes, I believe it is. And there's lots of reasons why we don't have time to get into it. But the, the key here is that don't make the Bible say something it doesn't say. You can have an opinion and that's perfectly fine. You can say, well, I, it is my opinion. The earth is 6,000 years old and I will respect you as a person who has an opinion. It's wrong, but that's okay. Now I'm just teasing you. Uh, I still love you. Um, but as long as you don't treat something as a fact, if it's not provable, that's what the definition of a fact is, not an opinion. Opinion is not provable. It's I feel that it should be true, but it doesn't matter whether it is, a fact is provable. Otherwise, it's a theory or an opinion. Okay. So in the Bible, in the very first sentence of the Bible, Bereshit Bara Elohim et Hashamaim Vaha'eretz, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. When? In the beginning. It doesn't say the day, the time, the year. It doesn't say any of that. It just says Bereshit, in the beginning. When God said it was time, boom, he began the creation. And there is never a phrase in all of scripture that says 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth or anything like that. So, we have to make sure, as I said on Sunday, that we're not guilty of Jesus, which is reading into the Bible what it doesn't say, but instead drawing out from the Bible what it does say. The earth is round. And that's all. I'll We'll move on. I think I've made my case. Some of you may not be back next week. It's okay. We've already taken attendance. <clears throat> the work of making a positive case for Christianity or making a negative case against, it, uh, against its challenges is called apologetics. Apologetics is when, when we make a positive case for Christianity or make a negative case against its challenges. So it's a rational defense of Christianity. It gives a reason. It gives a justification of one's beliefs. It presents evidence and sound reasoning uh, to reach individuals for Christ. If I walked up to you, and, and so to dovetail off of what I said about the young earth, we won't, we won't go back and, and hammer that home. I don't want to beat you like a dead horse or anything. But um, if I came up to you and said, I feel that this is true, and you go, well, like, for instance, gravity. If, if I'm standing on the edge of a building and I go, you know what, man, I just don't feel like gravity applies to me. And you'd be like, Okay, well, it does. I mean, it's a natural law. It is a fact. It is provable. If I drop an orange, it will fall. Gravity will Im- impose its natural law upon that orange and it'll fall. It won't hover. It won't go up. It'll go down. Law of gravity. Oh, yeah, man, but whatever, dude. I just don't feel like it's true for me. Okay, well, take a step. You know, go ahead and just, you know, uh, the world will be rid of one less person who just is things that, oh, it doesn't apply to me. And so that's what we have. That's the whole purpose of apologetics is to be able to make a sound defense. It's not that truth, well, my truth is truth for me, but your truth is truth for you. We're going to address that next week because that's incredibly incorrect. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter whether, if it's true for me, it is true. And so we're going to get into all the details of that next week. You just have to come back. A guy named G.K. Chesterton, he observed that while it was important to win the unsaved to Christianity, leaders must also convert the Christians to Christianity. His remark was this timeless reminder for us that the church must be dedicated to, in its duty to pass on biblical truth to every generation. We must pass on biblical truth to every generation. When we don't do that, uh, I think, I can't remember who it said, but um, one, one uh, minister, uh, could have been David Wilkerson or somebody like that, he said, uh, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. I mean, You've got to let that sink in. Christianity is one generation away from extinction. If we fail to pass on what to believe and why they should believe it, because the vast majority of people like me grew up in church. I wasn't saved outside of church. I was literally saved in church. My mother gave birth, and I was there. You know, I I grew up in church all my life, and so what I believed wasn't really what I believed. It was what my parents told me to believe. And at some point, the truth has to be true for me. It can't just be true because, well, mom and dad said so. Like when I was in high school, people would say, what do you believe? I'm like, well, we don't smoke. We don't drink. We don't, you know, have sex outside of marriage. And he's like, okay, well, that's not what I asked you. What I I asked you is, what do you believe? "Uh, Go to church on Sundays? I don't really know. I didn't know what I was to believe because the truth had not yet been passed on to me. Uh, I probably was not paying very good attention in children's church. Um, <clears throat> so it is our duty to pass on the biblical truth to every generation. Let me define a couple words that you're going to hear throughout this study. First, the world worldview. The word worldview. It refers to what a person believes. Worldview refers to what a person believes. Apologetics is all about why a person believes the things that they believe. So, worldview is what they believe, apologetics is why they believe. Individuals within the church and those on the outside, possibly looking in, need to learn both. You need to learn what uh, a person believes and why they believe it. The Greek word for apologetics appears several times in the Bible, it's usually translated as the word answer or reason. Uh, but the word apologia means a defense. Apologia is the Greek word meaning a defense. The challenges to Christianity are even causing some church members to ponder how Christianity stacks up against competing beliefs. People have statements like, well, you've got your truth and I've got mine, or Jesus was just one of many great spiritual leaders. They've become axiomatic in our culture. But knowledge of apologetics helps both Christians and non-Christians understand why the claims of Christianity are to be preferred over any other religious system. The, The concept that Jesus is one, he is a great spiritual leader, but he's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. Anyone who says that could not possibly have read the Gospels. Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus never portrays himself to be just a good teacher. He makes outlandish claims that he is the Ancient of Days. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the root of Jesse. He's the seed of David. He is the, you know, before Abraham was, I was. Before Moses was, I am. I mean, think about that. Anytime Jesus says the statement, I am, I just have to believe. You know, he's like got this deep Charlton Heston voice, you know, thundering. Before Moses was Yahweh. Because that's I am. He's declaring he is the self existent God of all of the universe, which is one of the reasons why the Jews went nuts and they were ripping their robes and grabbing rocks and they were just about to sidearm it right upside his head when he's like, Yeah, no, thank you. And he poo, he he was just like he would move through a crowd and they were like, Where did he go? Where did he go? Anyway. So Jesus makes all these claims. You can't, I mean, he's, he's either a good teacher in that what he says is true, or he was crazy in that he thought he was God, but he really wasn't. He can't be both. You, I mean, you, nobody ever, oh, I was trying to come up with an example of someone who was crazy. Um, clearly not choosing anyone in the room. Um, Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of someone who's like been like certified crazy insane. I don't. But anyway, so think of someone who. Huh? Okay, And I that's that's what I thought. Charlie Manson. Um, But, you know, someone who like thinks they are God, but clearly is not. You wouldn't say, well, but he's a good teacher. He has good things to say. You know, ninety nine percent of everything that comes out of Charlie Manson's mouth is pretty decent. Yeah, he thought he was God but, you know, everything else. No, you'd say, that guy's a nut. And you wouldn't listen to anything he has to say because everything he has to say is 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 tainted with the crazy part that, and so you'd never really know what's true. So the concept that Jesus is just a great spiritual leader, great spiritual teacher, um, he said he was God. And I know there are people who say Jesus never made that claim. He actually did in the Gospel of John. He says that he is the Son of God. And he gives us lots of other information uh, to prove that he is. So um, understanding apologetics helps us understand the claims of Christianity um, and helps us defend them as well as know them ourselves. Why why don't we just embrace atheism, you know, insisted upon the books by Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion? Well, for many reasons. First of all, Christianity is to be believed, and followed because it's true. In a world of sincerely held opinions, Christianity comes with historical facts and personally relevant facts. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of a provable fact. Eight verses in the New Testament, and I, I'm, I'll read through them really quickly. I'm not going to read the actual verses. I'll just read the references for the sake of the recording. But eight verses in the New Testament include the work the Greek word apologio, a legal term that means to speak in defense of. So Acts 22.1, Acts 25.16, 1 Corinthians 9.3, 2 Corinthians 7.11, Philippians 1.7, Philippians 1.16, 2 Timothy 4.16, and the last one, which we will read, 1 Peter 3.15. Peter wrote this. He said, But set the Messiah as Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to be prepared to give a defense for why we believe what we believe. Uh, Paul, in Thessalonica, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. That's apologia. Explaining them and showing them that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. So in his quest to make a presentation of the gospel that was both understandable and persuasive, Paul explained the def- how he was defending his content before the Greek listeners. In verse 3, translated defense is the Greek word which stems from dialogue. He was having a conversation. And when a Christian presents, explains, or defends the gospel, our hope is that people will become more favorably inclined to the message and more open to the reality of Jesus Christ. But what apologetics is not? Sometimes people will get confused and they will say things like uh I don't apologize for being a Christian. One pastor told a or I'm sorry, one college professor told a pastor. He said I heard them say that you're an apologist. What are you apologizing for? Apologetics is not saying you're sorry. That is not what that means. The words, I'm sorry, come from the Latin word mea culpa, uh, which is an admission of guilt, as if to say, I am culpable, I am guilty. And that has absolutely nothing to do with apologetics. We don't apologize for anything. It comes from the Greek word apologia, to make a defense. So we're not waving the white flag of surrender um, on behalf of Christianity Uh, Apologetics does not mean to say, I'm sorry for anything about the faith. Quite the opposite. The apologist is showing that we have an authentic message, but we also must make sure that we are authentic messengers. So things to avoid as you cultivate your apologetics skills. While we should be good at, I hate to use this word, but while we should be good at argumentation, we should not be argumentative, okay? There's a difference. Um, defending the gospel should never be argumentative. When you feel like someone is throwing up walls, you know, make sure that you are not combating and being argumentative and saying, well, you're just dumb. You know, don't, don't ever insult somebody, you know. You're just too stupid to be a Christian, you know. Christians are really smart. No, anyway. Um, So we obviously want to avoid being argumentative. There's an old saying, um, it says, an argument to be won should never be more important than a person to be loved. An argument to be won should never be more important than a person to be loved. The content should at least leave a listener willing to hear more and hopefully be drawn to the Savior. They may not accept Christ right then and there. You may be planting seeds, and that's okay. Uh, be willing to plant those seeds. Just make sure that you're planting those seeds and not saying, man, I wish somebody would tell them about Jesus, you know, but one day somebody will come along who is a Christian like I am, but they're going to tell you like I should uh, that you're, you know, you should be a Christian. Um, we need to, we need to uh, plant those seeds and hopefully leave people with a desire to hear more. So as we study apologetics Um, It can enable you to accumulate important facts and interesting content. Your vocabulary may expand. You may not have even known what the word apologetic meant. Um, It may uh, create some good challenges for you, but also you have to retain humility, rely on the Holy Spirit's empowerment, and not on any assumed intellectual prowess. You will learn how to make a defense, but ultimately the Holy Spirit will guide you in those conversations. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not a doctor, clearly. Um, <laughs> but if, if you came to me and started telling me your uh, symptoms, I would be a terrible doctor if I just gave you medication to cover the symptoms. You know, if, if you were in pain, well, just here, here's some really strong pain medication. If I never looked for the root cause, of what was causing the problem, I would be a terrible doctor. Uh, likewise, we have to help people get to the root, because the reality is sometimes when people come to me like for counseling, and they say, "Well, you know, I I uh, kicked my cat the other day." Okay, let's talk about that. Why did you kick your cat? Well, the cat was in the way. Okay, well, the cat's always in the way. Either they're always in the way, or you can never find them. It's one or the other. They're never appropriately in the room. So the issue isn't really the cat. The issue is your anger. It's why are you angry all the time? Why, you know, so let's find the root cause. So as you talk to people, they're going to, you're going to see a lot of symptoms. The goal is to listen and to, um, you know, as you're listening, ask the Holy Spirit to help you find the root cause of these objections. Maybe they went to church when they were younger and they were physically or sexually abused. They're going to have objections to Christianity that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They have everything to do with what they experienced. And so they need healing and they need help to work through that. Their objection is not with Jesus. It's with the person who abused them or told them lies or you know whatever it may be. So um, remain humble and rely on the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Apologetics is not a license to treat people abrasively. Apologetics is not a license to treat people abrasively. Be gentle. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Um, What's what's the expression about honey and flies? Um, Catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Yes, that's it. Thank you. So, you know, even if they don't agree with you, but you're respectful and you're kind and you're gentle and you're engaging and you're listening to them, many times they will want to have another conversation. You know, I may not agree with you, but I'd like to hear more about what you say. Or that can be your approach. You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I have very strong, strongly held beliefs, but I would like to hear more about what you think, um, because I don't know if you know this about human nature, people really like to hear themselves talk. So if you're willing to listen, they're willing to talk. They'll tell you all about their life story, more than you could possibly ever ask for or imagine. But they, they, they will uh, be glad to share more about themselves because people like to talk about themselves. So um, you can use that as an opportunity to get to know them better and um, prepare yourself for the next conversation. So, but understand you can, you can memorize all the scriptures and you can memorize all these things I'm going to be teaching over the next several weeks. It's not a substitute for preparation and prayer. Uh, the Holy Spirit will give you insight and give you the ability, you'll be able to call scriptures to your remembrance. Uh, the Holy Spirit will te- remind you of things you've read and heard and learned in a way that a memorization cannot. So, um, you can be well read and spiritually powerless. Apologetics is not a substitute for the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in the life of unsaved people. We understand you can't argue somebody into heaven, but the truths that you uh, share may be used by the Lord in drawing that person to to himself. So intellect should never be confused with or substituted for spiritual maturity. Um, there are lots of people who know a lot about God, but they don't really they they know the word of God, but they don't know the God of the word. And so, our goal is to uh, not do one without the other. We want to know the word of God, but we also want to know the God of the word. So, don't confuse intellect and knowledge with spiritual maturity. They they're not always the same thing. Um, for us, we need to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All that. Um, Galatians 5.23, it says, For such things, against such things, there's no law. There's no law, there's no spiritual law against love and loving your neighbor and being joyful and being patient. Um, and that's basically saying, God telling us, Look, people can't argue with that. So every once in a while, there, usually around Christmas, they will go through this cycle where I'll go to Starbucks And I'll get up to the uh, window and they'll say, the person in front of you paid for yours. I'm like, that was really thoughtful. They don't even know me and they like me. Thank you. (laughs) And then they say, hey, we've been doing this for about an hour. Would you like to pay for the person behind you? And (laughs) be quiet, Don. (laughs) So, you know, of course, the first thing is, why not? And then the realist, the pragmatic in me goes, wait a minute, what did the guy behind me order? Is it like a church bus, 15 teenagers who all ordered Venti or Trenta Frappuccinos? Then no. But if they just ordered a black coffee plain, nothing else, you know, just a dollar 50 coffee, I'll buy that guy coffee. So you can't, you can't argue. So If you're if you're in that situation where someone has paid for you, and you're like, "Wow, that was so nice," would you say, "I reject that? I will pay for my own coffee. Thank you very much. I don't take handouts from anybody, and I reject it." You can throw their change right back at them. You can put it back on their card. No, you you'd accept it. You know, you can't argue with that. You would be very kind. You know, you'd be very appreciative that someone paid for you, whether you pass it on or not. Because, you know, hey, Starbucks ain't cheap. <clears throat> so um, you, when you come across someone who's a skeptic, they may quibble over a, some point of content, but when your message is coupled with authenticity and gentleness and kindness and love and uh, a consistent godly life, that witness is hard to refute. Um, so if you want a good definition of apologetics, this is it. We're, we're ending here in like two minutes. Um, and, and so the defini- definition of apologetics on your sheet, it says this. Apologetics refers, and this is this is a long definition, so I apologize for this, but that's why I didn't give any blanks to fill in. Apologetics refers to content and methodologies which may be used by the Holy Spirit to contribute toward the discipleship and mobilization of believers and the evangelization of nonbelievers. So that Jesus Christ is exalted and His kingdom expanded. I expect you to have that all memorized by next week. I'm just kidding. The ultimate goal of the apologist is to glorify the Lord, and on the battlefield of ideas, souls of people are in the crossfire, and the apologist works to see as many lives as possible brought brought to salvation in Christ. Now that sounds very lofty, but be encouraged that one of the be encouraged by the knowledge that one of the most well-known apologetic verses in the Bible was written by Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, which we uh, read earlier. It is quoted by apologists everywhere and is referred to uh, uh, quite a bit. It was not written by Paul. Paul was the brainiac. He was the very well-educated um, rabbi. Um, he went. To, he did not flunk out of yeshiva. He went all the way through and was studying under Gamaliel, which was one of the most brilliant uh, Jewish rabbis of his day. Um, And so Paul, one of the reasons why Paul's letters are sometimes a little difficult to read because he was incredibly intelligent and he had a very sharp intellect. Um, But that phrase that is quoted by a lot of apologists is not written by Paul, the brainiac. It was written by plain-spoken Peter, the fisherman. Just like Peter, every believer, regardless of your educational level or experience, you have a part to play. And now, more than ever before in our culture, in our day and age, we need to rise to the challenge of Peter's words and equip a generation of believers to always be ready to give a defense for what we believe and why we believe it. Would you stand with me this evening? And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you're going to put in our path to share our belief in Jesus Christ, to give a defense for why we believe what we believe. We ask, Lord, that you would help us over these next several weeks to examine these specific issues and help us learn as best as we can um, when we come in contact with people who have questions. We pray, Lord, you'd prepare our hearts. You'd prepare our minds, you'd prepare our mouths to be able to be authentic and genuine and loving. And that uh, the goal is never to get somebody converted right on the spot, but um, to share the truth and trust you with the process that we, are, we sometimes are, are going to be planting seeds and sometimes we're going to be watering seeds that other people have planted. And sometimes, Lord, we're going to be the ones that are reaping that harvest because of the faithfulness of other people that have gone before us. So, Lord, prepare us for those moments where we can share our faith. We love you, Jesus, and we exalt your name, and our desire is for you to be exalted in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.